are listening to the AI with Maribel Lopez podcast, or AI with ML. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining. The AI with ML podcast is produced bi-weekly with occasional bonus episodes. This podcast shares the stories of the people behind the new world of data and AI. What are they creating and why does it matter? If you like this episode, please subscribe so you can easily find the podcast again. You can also share your feedback and ideas with me on Twitter and LinkedIn. All links are in the show notes. Extended show notes can be found at AIwithML.com slash podcasts. I hope you'll enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Maribel Lopez and I'm really excited as always to be joined with another amazing leader in technology. And today I'm joined with Kavitha Prasad. She is the VP of AI strategy at Intel. Hello, Kavitha. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Maribel. I look forward to talking to you today. So, Kavitha, tell us how long you've been at Intel and what you're responsible for in your role. I have been at Intel for almost a year and a couple of months now, Maribel, uh, and I'm responsible for uh, AI strategy and execution at Intel. Uh, that includes all the way from client and edge to the cloud and data center. That is an extremely large purview, but it also really indicates how important AI is in any company and how important AI is in the tech stack in general for organizations. And I know one of the things that I've been speaking with a lot of companies about is this concept of uh, AI and AI accelerators. So I thought maybe we could start our conversation there. And I'm wondering what you think or how you would describe some of the various categories of AI accelerators and what they're good at. Because I think it's a term that's being thrown around in the industry a lot and might be good to get a little clarity on it. That's a very good question, Maribel. The way we look at AI and the way AI is progressing, pretty soon wherever there is compute, there is going to be a need to do AI. So in that context, if you look at the broad uh, portfolio of compute, you can classify it broadly as general compute, general acceleration, and specialized acceleration. When I say general compute, this is where uh, CPUs and from Intel perspective, Xeons play a huge role. This is where you can have real-time inference, you can have small-scale training and fine-tuning, or you can have that as a head node for your acceleration off of which uh, off of the PCIe slots accelerator units can hang off of. So acceleration can happen in general compute. And in this case, think of a workload that is where AI is a part of the workload. They transfer very well on this uh, Xeon or CPU kind of infrastructure. Now in the general acceleration, this is where uh, you can have HPC plus AI uh, kind of training where you have a parallel compute clusters or a high intranode bandwidth uh, and the requirement for high memory bandwidth, et cetera, comes into play. This is where you're predominantly training or predominantly uh, doing AI inference. That's where general acceleration like GPUs play a huge role. And you can also do fine tuning and offline inference here. 
And now then there is specialized acceleration where you are dedicated, uh, dedicatedly doing just training and inference. These are deep learning multiple clusters or multiple servers put together with high bandwidth and uh, secondary lossless networks. This is where multi-tenant jobs and large-scale models run. That's where specialized acceleration comes into picture. And from an Intel perspective, considering that this is a wide range of acceleration that is needed, we have what, what we call in the fourth gen of uh, Intel AI Xeon processors, AMX, or you know, this is the acceleration unit that hangs off of the course where you get automatic acceleration for workloads that have a need for these dense matrix multiplication kind of operations. And from a general acceleration perspective, we have the Flex and the Max series the, which are the GPUs that we will be uh, that will be addressing the needs of this market, and from specialized acceleration perspective, where you really want the performance per TCO, we have Habana accelerators, Gaudi accelerators in the market today. So these are the different kinds of the broadly. Uh, these are the different kinds of accelerations that is needed for us from an AI workload perspective. I think one of the things that's so important about this is we've become much more sophisticated in terms of how we think about AI. I think in the beginning, it was sort of like, well, it's whatever we have. And now then it was like, is it just a GPU? And I think we've really kind of come to a better understanding of their different types of AI workloads and they require different types of processing. So I, I love the fact that we're getting better categorization around it. Sorry, one thing also to mention, Maribel, here is that looking at it from an accelerator perspective is great and uh, different kinds of compute is great. But in the end, the key thing to keep in mind is AI is a software problem first. So it's very important that we have a holistic software stack that the developers can easily deploy on these hardware uh, components that are available so that the development to deployment time is shortened. So software plays a huge role when, when we are looking at all these heterogeneous compute elements. Just wanted to mention that. Dig into that just a little bit. So why do you think software is such an important role? Because I think that's counterintuitive for a lot of people when they think of AI, they go directly to the hardware. So if you look at the kind of personas that are actually developing AI, right, they could be data scientists, they could be subject matter experts. So when you look at these software developers or these kinds of personas, they are operating at a very high level. They are either coding in Python um, or higher level languages, and they're using, they're mostly operating at the frameworks level, right? It could be TensorFlow, PyTorch, or now JAX, or uh, other frameworks. So they are at a very high level. So what they want to do is they want to be able to get the performance out of their applications being as hardware agnostic as possible. And for that, they they need the ecosystem, software ecosystem needs to be well established so that they code in the higher level languages, but get the performance out of the box. And in that context, uh, Xeons have the largest ecosystem today. And then NVIDIA uh, CUDA is the other uh, ecosystem available out there. So from that perspective, software being the homogenizing layer for the heterogeneity of the components is going to be very critical. And that's where Intel is working towards making sure we are providing that one API as the homogenizing layer for all of our heterogeneous hardware. So the customers or the developers can still focus 
writing code in Python, working at the uh, TensorFlow PyTorch level, but get the performance for the hardware right out of the box. And that is going to be critical for AI deployment. And you've mentioned a lot about Xeon. Is there something that you think companies should know about Xeon as it relates to AI that might not be obvious to them today? That's a very good question, Maribel. Uh, At Intel, uh, we do believe in the near future where AI is everywhere. Everything that computes and every workload will need to be capable of doing AI. In some cases, customers need dedicated infrastructure to run deep learning training and inference 24-7, 365 days at large scale. And like I mentioned, this is where the DL accelerators in large-scale systems are valuable to deliver the best TCO. And this is where also GPUs play a huge role. But in the majority of use cases, uh, deep learning along with machine learning, the traditional machine learning, or the probabilistic methods, or the domain-specific AI, and data analytics are going to be a part of a complex workload and pipeline or uh, mixed with a great uh, general purpose application. In these cases, uh, a general purpose server CPU is the best fit and support for AI acceleration and software on the Xeon CPU is the path to AI everywhere. And that is why today, because of the ubiquity of the Intel Xeon processor, processors, we do see that 70% of the data uh, center AI deployments are actually on Xeon. And that's where, uh, again, for the future, we are developing acceleration very close to the course so that the customers can automatically benefit out of this acceleration and all the optimizations we are doing, we are upstreaming it to the uh, frameworks and we are open sourcing it so the customers can, again, uh, operate at a much higher levels, but get the benefits out of our uh, Xeon processors. I think that might be one of the things that when I think about things enterprises get wrong is sort of understanding how much Xeon being used and how there's now acceleration frameworks to assist with that. But Are there some best practices or concepts that you think enterprises should be looking at in AI that you'd like to share? Start with business outcomes first. Business value is very, very important as opposed to just trying to use AI for the sake of using AI, because AI is a long game. It's not something that you say, I'm going to deploy today, tomorrow, I'm going to reap the benefits. It doesn't work like that. So it is a long game. It is going to have a huge impact on the way uh, organizations are transformed and technologies are transformed. So don't look for silver bullets. Think about organizational and technological transformations. Here you are thinking about data-driven transformation, which is new. And that is the key thing that enterprises need to focus on. Business outcomes, how does AI help me to enable those business outcomes, keeping in mind the organizational and technological transformations. That is what is going to be key. I love this data-driven transformation concept. And one of the things that we've seen a lot of organizations struggle with at the beginning, and I think they're getting better at, is this concept of making sure that you are always going back and reevaluating how the AI is performing within your organization and optimizing that performance. And there's a lot of different ways that that could be optimized, not just in terms of acceleration, but uh, optimizing the outcome in terms of maybe you need different data sources to pull into it, or maybe the models are not operating as you thought they would mod, uh, would operate in the real world. So trying to figure out how do you make some modifications for that. But those are great. Those, those are two great pieces of advice on that. I want to spend a minute to talk about the reality of where we are in AI today and 
What are some of the key challenges we need to overcome as an industry to make AI simpler and more scalable for all sizes of organizations? That's a very good question, Maribel. If you really look at the industry today, 80% of the companies are actually investing in AI. But according to the reports out there, only 20% of them are actually reaping the benefits of AI as we speak. So if you were to look at it, why is that? There are two main reasons. One is barriers to entry and the other is cost of entry. When I say barriers to entry, there is a need for a lot of AI talent for a lot of these enterprises. And that's very hard to find. And even if you find the talent, the complexity of AI systems and the talent needed to manage these systems is huge. Again, it comes down to where do you find such a talent? And the other key thing also from a barriers to entry perspective is the access to quality data, right? If you don't have the right data, it's garbage in, garbage out. And uh, to your previous point of data-driven transformation, how do you make sure it is accurate and it is actually productive? Because Lack of quality data can lead to biases in the system. It could lead to ethical issues. It could lead to uh, unwanted uh, uh, predictions. So all that needs to be kept in mind. So that is barriers to entry. Now, even if you have figured out the barriers to entry, the next is the cost of entry. If you really think about the computing power that is needed to actually make all of this a reality or the specialized hardware that is needed to go achieve the KPIs that the enterprise needs to achieve, the time to develop models, all this is expensive and the companies need to account for that. If you think about the market today, transformers have come a long way. They have lowered the barrier to entry in some way, but cost of entry is still not low yet. So those are the two main things that are preventing AI adoption or AI democratization to be happening, the barriers to entry and the cost of entry. It does make a lot of sense. And I think it takes us back to basic business principles at the end of the day, right? So I think that we have a tremendous opportunity to move forward with AI. Now, we've talked a little bit about the different types of accelerators and some of the challenges and some of the opportunities, but I know one of the things that's near and dear to everyone's heart that's in the AI field is, you know, what's going on with research or the community at large. So I'm wondering if there's any AI research projects or initiatives that you see in the industry that excite you and they could be in or outside of Intel. It's a very, very exciting world we are living in today, Maribel, and the uh, amount of research and the amount, uh, you know, new AI innovations that's happening is mind blowing. Just the fact that we are moving from predictive AI to generative AI is super exciting. What this does is think about the new class of users that will get unlocked based off of this generative AI. For example, even most people who don't know much about AI can use AI, right? It could be writers, insurance agents, programmers, uh, medical practitioners. It, it, it just opens up a broad array of applications and it opens up the capabilities for a wide range of people to be actually using this. And that's what is so exciting. Uh, if not, you know, even recently, I think just a week back or a couple of weeks back, chat GPT that got released 
just type in what you want and the results are just mind-blowing. But it is great. Having said that, it is great. There are other things that we need to keep in mind is how do we make sure that the ethical issues are addressed? How do we make sure it's responsible? How do we know it's it's trusted? Uh, How do we make sure we differentiate between what is real and what is fake? All that becomes extremely important. And that's where, uh, you know, a lot of focus also needs to be put into is to what sources do you trust? What sources do you uh, do you not trust? What is real? What is fake? So focus will also go on that. So I can go on for this for, you know, multiple minutes, but the very fact that, you know, predictive AI to generative AI is something I find very exciting for me. I'm with you on that. There's lots of interesting opportunities. I know that, you know, with AI, there's so many opportunities for things to go wrong or sideways. And I think as individuals, it's up to us to make sure that we're being responsible with that. But uh, aside from that, there's just tremendous excitement, enthusiasm and opportunity ahead of us. So very true. So very true. So Kavitha, thank you so much for your time and your attention. And we look forward to seeing what you build next. Thank you so much, Maribel. It was fun talking to you. Thank you for listening. Show notes, subscription links, and additional content can be found at aiwithml.com slash podcast. Until next time, wishing you all the best.